I do think that God wants to speak to us through his word tonight, and I'm really excited to begin a series on dating. Someone said, oh, I said series, and Siri answered the phone. Um, someone said that we should do something tonight, so I'm going to try it, and uh, we'll just go for it. We want to acknowledge a few people in the room. So if you have um, your Bibles and you are single, will you just lift it in the air tonight? Just lift it. You're single and you have a Bible. Okay, everybody look around. Everybody look around. Yeah, okay, now you see. Now you see. Now you see. That's good. Okay. You're welcome. I did that just for you. Um, hey. Tonight, I'm pumped about it, but I want to let you know about a few things before we get into it. Um, last week, we launched something that we're doing. I hope that we'll just do it for the rest of our time together, but just they're called prayer and praise cards. And it's just an opportunity for you to fill out, let us know like something that you would like prayer for. Um, we'd love to just pray alongside you. And so many of you filled out those. They're out in the lobby at a table right out there. Just fill them out, drop them in the basket. You can be anonymous if you want, or you can put your name down, your phone number down. We'd love just to send you a text. But many of you filled those out last week, and so our prayer team has been praying for you. And then some of you filled out the praise cards as well of just celebrating what God is doing in your life. And so we've been celebrating with you. I think that's really cool. We should do that too. So um, once again, if you want to participate in that, they're out in the lobby. So as you leave, you can grab those. Um, also, we're getting into the Datable series, which we are going to end. It's going to kind of culminate at the very end. I can't remember uh, what the date is, but it's the last Wednesday of February. We're going to end it with a little Q&R, okay? You've probably heard of Q&A. Uh, we do Q&Rs around here. At least I want to do a Q&R around here. Q&R means question and response, okay? I don't always have an answer for you, but I would like to give a response to you. And so we're going to do a little Q&R. We're going to have a panel up here answering or responding to uh, some of your questions. So what we need is we need to know what your questions are. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we've got a text line um, that you can send in. It's just a random number that we created online that you can send in some questions, whatever questions they may be revolving around dating, relationships, sex, love, that kind of stuff. Um, don't send in just some off-the-wall question, but something that kind of revolves around that theme. And then uh, we'll kind of gather those together. And probably what we'll end up doing is meshing, you know, finding out what are the, the main themes here, what are kind of what's everybody asking, and we'll um, address those. So you can do that. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram if you want to and send us a DM if you uh, don't mind being known. We're not going to say, oh, uh, you know, Karen asked this question, but obviously our team has to read it. So, but through the text message, you can be anonymous. So I'm excited about that. It's going to be a good time. All right. Are you dateable? <laughs> no, uh, you are. I believe each of you are. So we're going to enter into uh, a conversation over the next few weeks talking about what it means to be dateable. We're going to talk about dating, love, all this kind of fun stuff. It's going to be great. How many of you love a good movie? You're a movie lover. Anybody? Awesome. Love a good movie every now and then. How many of you love a good uh, rom-com? <laughs> yeah, Awesome. There's, uh, there's some, some good ones out there, I guess. I think one of the best ones, it's like one of the best ones and one of the worst ones at the same time. I don't know when it came out. But it's the movie The Breakup. You guys ever seen The Breakup? The reason why, I think it's a, it's a good film or whatever. But uh, the reason why it's also terrible is the end. Spoiler alert, I'm about to spoil it for you. It ends with like no resolve. They actually stay broken up. They don't get back together. So if you haven't seen it yet, there you go. But it's, uh, it's, it's 
tears my heart up. And I'm like, wait, you guys are supposed to get back. Yeah, that's how movies work, right? They break up and they end up. The love just is amazing and they get back together. Um, so that one's good. I was thinking about all the different movies that have some sort of theme of love and relationships in them. And if you think about it, it seems like all of them do, right? It doesn't matter if it's a, if it's a rom-com, some sort of uh, drama. It could even be like an action movie. It could even be a horror movie. And somehow they find a way to throw into the plot, like a little side plot here, of these two people who are, you know, on their journey of finding love together in a relationship. So it seems like every movie has some sort of theme of love in it. I was even thinking back, you know, all the way to when you're a kid. It seems like the very early, like a very early age, we start getting movies about love. So I was thinking of a few. Maybe you enjoy the, the older story of a young girl who's captivated by magic and wonder and finds the love of her prince in the 1950s classic of Cinderella. Anybody enjoy Cinderella? Okay. Maybe you prefer the uh, pessimistic warning that comes about who can you actually really trust in the captivating love story of Rapunzel and Eugene in the 2010 film Tangled? Anybody love Tangled? Or maybe, maybe a little bit more recent, maybe you enjoyed the naivety, quirkiness, yet also inspiring bravery of Princess Anna paired with sarcastic persistence of Kristoff in the 2014 Academy Award winner. Frozen, right? I don't know why I talk like that about those movies. But um, whatever you personally enjoy, you have to admit that even from a very young age, from a very young age, our view of love, our view of relationships, it's being formed. And it's most definitely being influenced by these kind of fairy tale kind of perspectives about love, which is fine. But this is why we have to spend time talking about this in the church. Now, some people would say, Austin, do we really have to talk about dating in the church? Can't we just, you know, focus on Jesus? And if everybody would just get Jesus, then these kinds of things will just work themselves out and they'll be in, you know, thriving, godly relationships. Well, I have to say no. That's not how it works. And I really believe that it's important that we talk about this because this is why. I am interested in anything, anything that is forming you. And thus, at the same time, anything that is radically even on a mission to deform you, to deform you out of the image of Jesus. Our hope as followers of Jesus is that we would look like him, act like him, talk like him, and that we'd be formed in the image of Jesus. And so... I really believe that anytime there's something that has such a pull on our hearts and our lives that has the potential to deform us out of the image of Jesus, that it's important that we talk about. And I really believe that dating and relationships uh, have that kind of power in our life. So I want to start tonight by giving a little bit of a disclaimer. Now, I'm not going to say this every night for the next few weeks, so I want to begin with this disclaimer, and then we'll get into kind of our subject for the night. Scripture, this book, says nothing about dating. Okay, don't everybody leave. But that's true. It says nothing about dating. Dating was not really a thing 2,000 years ago, and, and especially not Old Testament, even longer than that ago. 
Wasn't a thing. That's not what they did. The way that most of you are experiencing a dating relationship has really only been on the scene for a century, maybe. And even at that, over the last hundred years, dating has changed radically. Just ask your parents, your grandparents. It's radically changed. So technically, if you want to biblically date somebody, you probably need to move more toward like an arranged marriage because that's what they did in this book. So that's where we're starting at tonight. However, the Bible does have much to say about human relationships to one another, has much to say about the covenant of marriage, has much to say about who you are becoming individually and how you approach the things in your life that you give great value to. So as a general rule, as a teacher, as a pastor, as a general rule, where the scripture is really clear and sometimes really dogmatic, I would say, then so should we be. If it is just black and white clear in here, then we should be too. Where the scripture is a little bit more ambiguous or gray, then we need to hold, hold those things with open hands and understand that there may be a different perspective on this and be open-minded to that. Where the scriptures are silent about things, then we should be too. And so I want to be crystal clear and upfront honest with you that when we talk about dating, we are wading into a little bit of opinion. There's just no way around it. Now, when there are things that are not crystal clear in Scripture, I know what I want to do to get knowledge around those things is I actually I want wisdom. If it doesn't really talk about it in Scripture, then I know that what I need is wisdom about that. So, for example, um, if I'm trying to make some decisions about where to invest my money, you know, do I want to get into buying stocks? Do, you know, what do I want to do with my retirement plan? Uh, do I want to get into real estate investment? How do I want to invest my money? As far as I know, the scripture doesn't talk about that. If, if you found something, please let me know. But as far as I know, it doesn't. And so I know what I need is wisdom about that. And so I know what the scripture says about generosity. I know what the scripture says about money. I know what the scripture says about what, bring God's, what brings God glory. And so I combine all those things to get wisdom about where I should invest my money. Does that make sense? And even, I think it's important to ask other Bible-believing, Christian, Jesus-following people and ask them, hey, what do you think? That's called wise counsel. So where the scripture is not really clear about something, what I want is wisdom. Also, it should be noted that some things in life are abiblical and some things in life are anti-biblical. Abiblical meaning that they are not in the Bible. It's not talked about in the Bible, but it is not at odds with the Bible. Anti-biblical meaning that it is directly at odds with the teaching of Scripture. Abiblical and anti-biblical. So let me give you an example. Culturally, it's kind of known, I mean, maybe it's a little bit outdated, but culturally, a man should open the door for his girlfriend or spouse. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. Okay, that's kind of a cultural thing. It's a good thing. Maybe you practice it. I should probably practice it more. But tell me this, um, is that abiblical or anti-biblical? 
abiblical. I've yet to find something in Scripture telling me that I should open the door for my wife. If you find it, let me know. Now, there's lots that we can read about how to honor people, how to serve people, how to love people, but that's not a clear command in Scripture. However, culturally, it's also normal for a couple to begin sleeping together after a few dates. Is that abiblical or anti-biblical? That is anti-biblical. That's directly at odds with the Bible's view and practices of sexuality. So there is freedom. Here's the point. There's freedom about how we go about the journey in between, hey, my name is Joe, and I would like to take you on a date, and saying I do to somebody. There's freedom in between in that journey of what dating looks like or courting, whatever you want to call it. However, that freedom must be shaped by what we see in the scripture about who we are to become as individuals, what it means to honor and love another human being, and what a godly biblical marriage looks like. Because that is talked about in scripture. Are you with me so far? Okay. I was like three people, so I'm a little nervous, but um, let's keep moving forward. For the next few weeks, for the next few weeks, I think the best way to talk about dating relationships and, and, and where I think God's leading us to talk is uh, to compare two paths. Two paths. One is a unhealthy, um, I would call a casual way of dating. And the other is a healthy, I would call, uh, intentional way of dating. You've got two paths. So I think they're going to put it on the screen for you. And we're going to kind of walk through this path together. We're going to do uh, two points tonight, and then we'll do two points next week. But an unhealthy path that is characterized by kind of a casual perspective on dating. And when I say casual, I don't mean like, oh, I'm just casually dating. What I mean is like a casual attitude toward what dating is or a haphazard way of going about dating. It's just kind of a go with the flow. Let's see what happens. I don't really know. I mean, I like her. Uh, she likes me. Let's just kind of see what happens. That's a casual way of going about it. And by intentional, what I mean is I take this really serious. And I'm giving serious thought to what this dating relationship will turn into and what it is doing to me as an individual and what it could become. I understand that outside of my relationship with God, who I marry will be the most important relationship in my life and ultimately have the biggest effect on my life. So I want to take tonight and next week to talk about the four stages of these paths and hopefully give you a chance to think through which one you want to be on. So... First stage, on the casual, unhealthy path, if you're taking notes, I think this is uh, helpful stuff. The first stage is this, is marked by desperation. At the ground level of both of these is a major difference. So let's do a little compare and contrast. First stage is desperate on the casual, unhealthy path and dependent on the intentional, healthy path. And by dependent, I mean dependent on God. So no one in here is probably going to say, I'm a really desperate person. <laughs> I'm just desperate for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That's probably not how you would describe yourself. But reality is so many young adults 
become obsessed with being in a relationship or they become crushed by the lack of one because they are desperate. So why do we become desperate? Well, some of the desperation, some of it comes and is driven by a fear of being lonely the rest of our lives or for a long time while all of your friends are getting married, having kids. What if I end up the one who doesn't get married till I'm 35 or whatever? Some of our desperation comes from fear. Or maybe it comes from the belief that I can't find a boyfriend or girlfriend or no one will want to be my boyfriend or girlfriend. And so it must mean that there is something about me that is unlovable. Or maybe it comes from, uh, it's driven by a desire to fill a void in your life. Ultimately that you're empty inside and that you're looking for someone to give you a sense of meaning. Desperation comes from different things. But I want to talk, I want to give you two points tonight, two things to know about desperation. If you're taking notes, number one is this. Desperate people look to a relationship to solve what only God can solve. I want to read you a story from Scripture tonight that I think, especially if you have a tendency to believe that, um, will resonate with you a little bit. So if you have your Bibles or you just want to write this down, I want to read to you out of John chapter 4. We're going to pick up in um, verse 7. It's a story about Jesus. He's traveling with some of his disciples, and he encounters a Samaritan woman at a well looking for water. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. (laughs) All right, verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. I said that a little aggressively. It was probably more like, give me a drink. Uh, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? The Jews and Samaritans, they were typically not fond of each other. There was kind of this, this rage at each other, and so she's surprised that he would ask of her or even talk to her. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Kind of a weird phrase, living water. So Jesus starts to kind of throw this woman for a loop here. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. Talking about the well. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come to here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus, oh, sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship 
is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Almost done here. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now, there's a lot, a lot packed into this story that we could spend multiple weeks talking about. But what I want to highlight to you tonight is that it is interesting to me that the scriptures use this to show us who Jesus is. The scriptures use this story of a woman who has clearly experienced an enormous amount of relational dysfunction. You have had five husbands, and the one you are living with now is not your husband. She has experienced enormous relational dysfunction and brokenness and probably shame. She clearly continues to look to the next relationship or the next hookup. For something that she is longing for, a void in her life that can't seem to be fulfilled. And Jesus says to her that only he can satisfy her thirst. He says, I have living water and I am here. And those who drink from me will never thirst again. That he is actually what she is longing for. That he can fulfill her deepest needs, her deepest desires. Only, listen to me, only Jesus will satisfy your soul. I don't know where you're looking or what you're looking for. I don't know if you've had five husbands, five boyfriends, five girlfriends, or more than that, or a couple hookups along the way. I'm not sure what your story is, but I'm telling you that only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. So desperate, my soul is empty of something, and I believe somewhere along the way I came to this belief that a relationship or a sexual encounter or something will fulfill that deepest need in my heart. So here's what's crazy about desperation to me, is that when you look to another human being to satisfy the God-sized hole in your soul that can only be filled by God, when you look to another human being to do that, you bring an emptiness into a relationship that curiously, this is what's really curious to me, that curiously will be the thing that actually destroys your relationship. When you are desperate, you bring an emptiness into a relationship that will actually become the thing that destroys your relationship. Because when you bring an emptiness into a relationship, you are expecting your partner, your spouse, whatever, to fulfill that emptiness to fill up that emptiness. And that is a weight that none of you can carry. 
If your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever, brings to you an emptiness and says, it is your responsibility to fill this longing in my soul, I'm telling you, you will be crushed by that because you do not have the capacity to fill that void. Only Jesus can do it. And he gave you that void for a purpose because only he can do it. And some of you have been longing and looking for someone to fill that void in your heart. And tonight the invitation is Jesus. Only he can do it. Who are you looking for? It is him. It is him who offers living water. It will be the thing that destroys your relationship when you bring emptiness into it. And so already when you start at desperation, you're starting on an awful foundation. A foundation that I know you do not want. Number two, second thing about desperation. Desperate, desperate people lower their standards to raise their chances. Desperate people lower their standards to raise their chances. They lower the standards on the kind of person they're willing to date and the kind of person that they're willing to become. So what started with, I'm looking for a girl who loves Jesus, somehow quickly becomes, well, she has a Jesus tattoo. I guess that will do. That was meant to be funny. It's okay to laugh. What started with a high standard, I can't find anybody, and I've got an emptiness, and I've got a void in my heart that needs to be filled, and so I guess I'll lower my standards so that I can raise my chances. I have to have someone. So, ladies, can I talk to you for just a second, and then, guys, I'm going to come to you. But, ladies, you need to know this. Whatever you catch him with will be what you have to keep him with. If you catch him with your sexuality, you will have to keep him with that as well. And I don't by any means excuse behavior and put the blame on you for all of that. But I'm just saying... The expectation on day 100 will be what they got on day one. On the other hand, if day one is a woman who loves and honors God with her life, then any guy who pursues that knows what they will get on day 100. Fellas, if you will live a life that says, I know what the cool thing to do is. I know what everybody's raving about. I know what everybody, how everybody else out there likes to go about dating, but not me. I am called to serve and honor God with my life, and that is my number one priority. I promise you, if that is your posture, I promise you, you will catch the kind of girl that you want. A few years ago, I'll never forget, I was... Um, working at another church, and uh, I was working with young adults like you guys, and I had a conversation with a young lady. She came into my office, and she was distraught, really broken, really upset, hurt. She'd just gotten out of a relationship, and it was a bad ending, and she was really jacked up about it, and she just kind of, even not just hurt, it was like anger. She was upset at how the guy had treated her, and she ended with this like, all men are dogs. <laughs> That's what she said. And I said, well, first of all, I'm kind of offended. <laughs> um, and then I said this, and, and perhaps it was a little bit aggressive. But I said, maybe if you'd stop putting dog food out, 
the dogs will stop coming to eat. Now, now I'm not, not trying to, like I said, excuse behavior. And I'm not trying to say that someone who acts like a dog is right. I'm not trying to say that at all. That's a whole other conversation, and we'll get there. But my point is this. The bait that you use will determine the catch that you get. And so I think you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to ask the question, what kind of bait am I putting out there? Is it? Is there a chance that maybe the catch that I'm getting is related to the kind of bait that I'm putting out? Now let's move to dependent. Sorry, Tyler. Dependent. So what was the first, on the first path, what do we have? Desperate. On the other path, the good path, the, the healthy path, the intentional path, when you and God are right, when you are pursuing a relationship with Jesus, you're not perfect, but you are pursuing a relationship with Jesus, and he is meeting your deepest needs. He is fulfilling your emptiness. You enter the relationship with a different kind of maturity. And dependent people are so intimately connected, dependent on God. Dependent people are so intimately connected with God that they are dependent on him to fulfill their deepest desires and needs. So listen, there is no pressure or race to find, and these are intentional, the right one. There is no pressure or race to find the right one because I'm dependent on God to fill my needs, fulfill my needs and desires, and I'm dependent on him to bring the person at the right time. I love this verse in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Could that be said of you? That he is keeping you in perfect peace because his mind is on, because your mind is on him and your trust is in him. And here's the thing. Dependent people know when they find someone else who is dependent on God. And when that happens, it's a beautiful match. It's a beautiful match because now they become encouragers and supporters of continued dependence on God. A dependent person knows when they find another dependent person on God. Someone who walks with God so intimately that they trust God to bring the right person at the right time. And it's not that dependent people don't desire a relationship. It's just that they're not desperate for one. Because they're not in need of someone to fill a void. When you are really hungry, any restaurant will do. And when you're really desperate, any person will do. And so fight desperation and lean into dependence on God and trust him. The second stage that I want to kind of lean into, after you're desperate, Here's what tends to happen. You tend to fall into kind of a stage of infatuation versus a stage of being interested. Infatuation is an object of extravagant, short-lived passion. It's foolish and usually extravagant passion or love or admiration. It's this kind of um, 
I'm just kind of caught up in the whimsical, like magical thing of this relationship. He's so amazing. She's just awesome. Everything I've ever dreamed of. She does this. She drives this or whatever. It's just this, like, I'm infatuated. I'm caught up in the emotional experience of it all. And so how do you end up in a relationship with the wrong person? Well, it tends to happen like this. You become infatuated with them, and you stop asking good questions about them. You become so wrapped up in the emotional experience of, oh, my gosh, it's just so amazing. And it's this infatuation that you stop asking the right kind of questions, and you stop being interested in who they actually, actually are. And why did you do this? Because you were desperate, trying to fill a void, and you allowed yourself to become infatuated. You turned off your brain, and you just start kind of daydreaming of what life could be and all that, not asking good questions. However, someone who's interested, man, interested, excites the curiosity of, engage the interest of, you're on the mind of. When you are interested, you want to find out more information. It's like a, a CSI Miami episode. You're just out there like looking for info. You're interested. And here's the thing. When I say interested, I don't mean like you haven't started dating yet. I mean like you are dating. You are boyfriend and girlfriend. And you're still interested. I'm learning. I'm six months into this relationship. And I'm still interested. Here's my point. Being interested is about learning. And you never want to stop learning when you're dating. Don't turn your brain off. Stay interested. I'll tell you a little bit about um, my story with me and my wife, Suzanne. We've been married for a little over eight years. Um, she was here tonight earlier with our boys and our dog, our puppy. I don't know. I think our dog peed out in the lobby. Um, Sorry, that's TMI. But um, our story, me and my wife, um, and, and, and listen, when I tell you this, I'm not saying that we're like the perfect couple and you need to do everything like us or that we did everything exactly right, and that's why I'm telling you this. I'm not saying that. But there are a few things that I look back on. I go, man, I'm really grateful that God did that in our life. I'll tell you a little bit about our story. Um, we met in uh, Christmas of 2010, and it's kind of funny. We actually met on a blind date. Our parents set us up. You want to talk about arranged marriage. Our parents set us up on a date. We had never met each other. And so we were down here in Statesboro. We were both home from school. I was at Liberty University. She was at Charleston Southern. And so we were both home here in Statesboro. I was visiting my parents, and, and she's from here. And our parents knew each other. They set us up on a blind date. So we go to coffee somewhere, and then I take her bowling, and I just crushed her, guys. Listen, don't let her off the hook. I crushed her. I had to show her. This is not a game. I'm serious. Um, and then immediately after, we just stayed in touch, and we started dating. And we dated long distance. We finished school. We dated long distance for the next two years as we finished college. We dated long distance, and then um, I moved to Atlanta to start kind of a pastoral training program. And then she eventually, when she graduated, she moved to Atlanta as well. She started her uh, master's at Georgia, and so that happened March of 2013, and then uh, less than a year later, I moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, away from her. And, and then less than, I think it was like six months after that, we got married. So we dated, and we were engaged a total of three and a half years. And two and a half years of that were long distance. They were us calling, FaceTiming, 
just trying to make it work. And here's the thing. Now, now, long distance is tough. If any of you guys are doing it, you know it's tough. But here's what I'm grateful for. It does something to you because you learn to stay interested. And you have to just kind of learn about each other. How are we going to have conversations every single night over a phone call or FaceTime? We stay interested. Tell me about whatever. And you're just asking the most random questions. And I'm not saying that's ideal and you all need to seek out long-distance relationships. You don't need to do that. But I would encourage you, stay interested. You do not want to fall into a passionate, emotion-based relationship instead of one where you're actually making a decision about your future based on what you are learning about that person. Not that passion and emotion can't be involved, but stay interested. Keep your mind engaged. So I want to give you tonight a few questions before we wrap up. A few questions that I think you should ask about the person you are interested in. Okay? Now, um, when I say interested in, I don't mean like you're thinking about going on a date with them, although maybe that's good for this too. I'm talking about you are like already dating or maybe you're just starting dating. Like wherever you're at, these are questions that I think you should ask about each other. Some of these uh, should throw up yellow flags. You played the game of red flags and, and warning signs earlier. Some of these should throw up yellow flags like, eh, not a huge deal, but you know, I kind of want to look into that a little bit. Some of these should throw up red flags. I'm not going to tell you which flag it should throw up. I'll let you decide. But I think these are good questions to ask. And here's the bottom line. You come up with your own list. You don't have to use these questions. Come up with your own questions. The bottom line is this. Learn before you love. Learn before you love. Are you ready? Oh, okay, here we go. Questions to ask when getting to know somebody. Oh, and here, here. I uh, printed these out. They're all going to be out there. We've got like 200 copies on a piece of paper. If you're interested, when you leave, you can just take a sheet of paper with you rather than trying to write down all these things right now. Okay? Questions to ask when getting to know somebody. Let's start with kind of just relational questions, a relational category. How do they treat their parents and their friends? Seems like an important question. Just, just how are they like? How do they treat their parents? How do they treat their friends? What are their friends like? If you hate all of your boyfriend's friends, and you think he's just like the gym in all of them, and he's not like them. I promise you, <laughs> fellas, I'm sorry. I promise you he's not who you think he is. I heard someone say one time, um, show me your five best friends, and I'll show you your future. So what are his friends like? What are her friends like? How do they handle relationship conflict with people? Do they tend to blow up? Do they tend to be filled with rage and anger? Can they not have an adult conversation without being taken over by rage? You should pay attention to that. Are all their best friends the opposite sex? <laughs> what does that say to me about them? I won't answer that. I'll let you answer that. What is their last girlfriend or boyfriend like? What happened with that relationship? You should know. Have they ever told a boyfriend or girlfriend, I love you? If so, why are they not still together? 
Now, I haven't given you my uh, kind of talk on the use of the word love. We'll save that for another time. But here's the point. That is a powerful, powerful word. And when you say that word to somebody, there is a commitment that is involved with it. And so if someone's thrown around that word a little bit flippantly, perhaps they don't quite have an accurate understanding of what that word means. Now, you determine if that's a yellow or a red flag or just something you should wade into a little bit, but I think it's worth asking. Can I keep going? Okay, let's go into kind of just some uh, uh, life management kind of questions. I think these are questions you should ask. Do they handle money well? Or are they in major debt and still spending? Here's the thing. You guys are college students. It's likely you're in major debt. Okay? Major debt would not concern me. Major debt and still spending irresponsibly and not a plan of how to get rid of that, that would concern me if I was you. I think that's a question worth asking. Can they keep a job? And if not, why not? Is it always somebody else's fault? I think that's a question worth asking. Where are they headed in life and why? Not because you need a certain salary, don't do that. But just do they have a goal? Do they have ambitions? Is there something that they want to accomplish? Are they just talking about it? Or are they actually pursuing it? How, this is so good, how well do they handle life when it's not going their way? Because I can promise you this, if you get into a a marriage one day, life is not going to go exactly how you planned. And so I would want to ask the question, how does this person handle life when it doesn't go exactly how it's planned? Now, reality is, you may not handle it great either. And so, I think that's something you should work through. Next category, let's just talk about like some character kinds of things. Are they honest even if it makes them look bad? Y'all don't understand how important these are. <laughs> are they hardworking and consistent? Let me, um, let me brag on my wife once again. Uh, my, my wife, this is one thing that, that I just loved about her when I was dating her. This was something that just captured my attention. My wife uh, ran track and cross country, both of those in college. Okay, cool. Uh, she ran track and cross country in college. And while being a student athlete, graduated in three and a half years with her undergrad and then went on to get her master's, which she completed in a year and a half. So all of that in five years. To me, now, I'm not saying everybody has to do that. It wasn't like, oh, i got to find someone who does, you know, a master's or whatever. It wasn't like that. But to me, when I saw that, I went, gosh, she's a hard worker. Like when she puts her mind to something, she's going to do it. And can I tell you, now having been married to her for over eight years, that is true of her as a wife. I have watched her. When she puts her mind to something, she does it. And she's a hard worker. will work circles around me. And that's something I admire. It's something that I love. And that's something that I saw in her early that I appreciated. Do they have bad habits that they say they will break, but they never do? (laughs) Do they have a criminal record? (laughs) I just thought that would be a good one to add. 
And then lastly, let me end with kind of some spiritual questions. Kind of some spiritual questions. Do they have real intentions of knowing and following Jesus? And hear me, don't listen to what they say, watch what they do. Don't listen to what they say, watch what they do. Do they have real intentions of knowing him and following him? When you're around them, are you challenged spiritually? Is their life changing as a result of their relationship with Jesus? Now, I'm not saying that they have to be perfect. You're not expecting that because God knows you're not either. But is their life changing as a result of their walk with Jesus? Do they love the local church? Do they love the local church? I, I personally think, this is my opinion, I personally think it should be a red flag for you. Especially if someone you are interested in says they love Jesus and yet they have no interest in the church. To me, those do not go together whatsoever. And that would be a flag for me. And hear me, you cannot find out this stuff overnight. You will not, and these, please, please, oh God, don't sit down with the person you're interested in and say, let me ask you some questions. Okay? Don't do that. And maybe it's smart for you to just not even tell them that these are questions that you're asking yourself. I'm just saying these are things that you should be thinking through as you're thinking of someone that you're interested in. But you cannot find out this kinds of stuff overnight or in a week or I would say even in a month. It actually takes time. But hear me. It is okay for it to take time. Why? When you are not desperate. You have time. When you are not desperate, you have time. And when you are not desperate, this doesn't have to work. I can get out of this at any time. It is only when you are desperate that you feel the press of time to find someone. So pick your own questions. doesn't matter to me. The point is this, learn before you love. Learn before you love. I can't tell you the number of times I've sat down with someone who has said, you know, you know the problem with my, my boyfriend is he's just not a spiritual leader. And I said, well, what kind of spiritual leader was he when you were dating? What kind of spiritual leader was he when you first started dating? Well, he wasn't. So, well, why do you expect something different? It is imperative that you ask the right questions and that you commit to learning and not being wrapped up in infatuation. So the only way that you can sit and rest while you ask questions is if you're not desperate for this person to fill a void in you. And the only way that happens is if you are dependent, reliant on God to fill the void in your life. Listen to me. Dependence is waiting for God's solution. Desperation is making your own. Dependence is waiting for God's solution. Desperation is making your own. I'm reminded of um, the account that we have of Jesus just hours before he goes to the cross and he gives his life to pay the price for our sin. And he says this in a moment of prayer. 
to his father. He says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup, meaning let what's about to happen to me, the crucif- my crucifixion, this horrific death, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In other words, not what I want, but you want. You see, Jesus surrendered his will to trust the will of God. He surrendered his will to trust the will of God. Now, you're not facing death and the weight of sin of this world, but perhaps your prayer is a Garden of Gethsemane type of prayer where you say, God, if possible, I'd love to find someone. If possible, I'd love to be in a relationship. If possible, I'd love for that to be soon, if possible. But not my will, but your will. And what you mean by that is I trust you. I trust you. I'm dependent on you. I'm dependent on you. The kind of relationship that you actually want can only be found when you surrender, trust, and depend on him. Otherwise, you will fight and claw your way to solve your singleness, but it's only in losing your control and trusting God that you will actually find your purpose and find that fulfillment that you're looking for. I'm not saying that you should stop wanting a relationship. I'm just encouraging you to take a posture of dependence, not desperation. And so I want to close by praying for you. And, and I just want to close by saying um, I understand the, the weightiness of this talk. I understand the weightiness of this, what we're about to go into for the next few weeks. And I'm honored, I'm grateful that you would allow me to speak into it. I I really do consider it an honor, Um, not only as like your pastor, but maybe kind of just as a mentor. And I know that these are uh, heavy things to walk through. And so I'm praying for you, our team is praying for you throughout the week, that these would be things that you would sincerely open your hands to God. And you would say, God, not my will, but your will be done. God, not what I want, but what you want. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts is what scripture says. And so you can depend on him. You can trust him. And he will lead you through. Father, you're a good God. And you take the things that are heavy on us. You take the things that seem so close to us, that are so real to us. You take the pain that we've walked through, the hurt that we've walked through, the pain, the hurt that we're in now. And you bring us near to you so that you can carry that burden. And so, God, I pray that in the next few weeks, as we kind of walk through this, that you would do just that, that you would bring us close to you. And, God, I do ask for your conviction. Lord, where there is um, wrong, where there is someone who is going down a path, maybe it's it's that first path, God. If there's someone going down that, God, I pray that you would bring your loving, merciful, compassionate conviction. And God, that you would lead them, lead them to the other path. God, even if that requires tough decisions, if that requires taking a stance that's not popular, Father, would you do that of us? Would you raise up a community of young adults here in Statesboro 
that care, that truly care, that care about following you, following your design, and living a life that pleases and honors you. And so, God, that means even our dating relationships. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your kindness to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.